podcast with your producer, Seattle Who. Thank you for joining us on the Who's Place Who's Cast. This is Season 3, Episode 3. I'm your host, Val Prohaska, and I'm back after a week off. And I'm joined, as always, by our producer, Seattle Who. Welcome, Seattle. Hey, Val. Welcome back. It's it's good to have you back. I, I didn't, really didn't like playing host, uh, so... <laughs> Um, that's that's your time off for the season, so make sure you're here bright and early oh. every week for for the rest of the, the broadcast season. No, I'm not going anywhere. This is, right. uh, it's a lot of fun doing this. So we've got um, tonight. We've got we've got uh, a Maryland game. Sort of, I'm um, gonna have a slightly different take on it than most. We've Wait, got Maryland women's soccer to talk about. Oh my god. Did I say Maryland? Maryland? Okay. What? What, did women's oh, soccer gosh. play Maryland or something? Or you have Maryland on the no, brain? No, no, no. No, no, no. I've got the M on the mind. Oh, so yes, the M. Let's just cut that whole thing out. No, I'm not That's cutting not it. Not I'm cutting it at all. Them. Not cutting it. It's, it's oh, my this, God. It's okay. this raw, unfiltered, natural sound. It It works. It works. <laughs> Well, that's the frame of mind I guess I'm in after after watching the Miami game. Um, so we've got that. I mean, Miami, the, Maryland, Big M, trash school, tra- you know, trash sports uh, programs. Just like, like them both, yeah. Yeah, you know, it works. So, yeah, so we also have a little bit of women's soccer and then uh, got some interesting basketball news as the first couple of games – have started to be released and officially announced. And let's just say we're glad that we were in the Hartford bubble and not the Orlando bubble. We'll we'll get into that. We'll get into that in a little bit for those of you who aren't up on the news. So So to begin with the Miami game, uh, last Saturday uh, Miami dropped Virginia to one and four. And, the initial response from Cavalier Nation was just one of overwhelming gloom and doom. I mean, one in four sucks. But having watched the game and knowing full well that we were going to lose, I rewatched it yesterday, I actually came away maybe a little more impressed than people who were living the heartache. Well, I think we the were... people, the Twitter accounts that, that I saw on my feed – kind of had the same feel about it that you did. I mostly saw people who were feeling kind of like, all right, well, this was better. It, you know, sucks to lose, and we had chances to win. But, you know, the defense looked good, and Brennan looked, you know, he looked pretty good, and, and there's stuff to build on here. So I I, I think a lot of it, Twitter and, and social media, there's such echo chambers. I feel It feels like you're connecting with the whole world, but the reality is you're – you're just hearing a few people, and and I think we we all the way we what we think the general community is feeling is so colored by the little corner of it that we're actually exposed to. Well, I mean that's certainly true, and that's been a criticism of social media for years. And if anything, it's only intensifying. Oh, and it is, and but, it's it's uh, the design of of these networks with all the personalization that. You know they're, you know they're definitely they're, they're feeding it that way. But and, and I think in a lot of times it's not deliberate on our part, but it's you kind of get slotted. It's you know like like we're running the luge here. Sure. But anyway, so yeah, so, I think it's. You know, I know I know Aaron, who amp was, he was really upset. I, I read some of his recap and you know he's sick of it and. You know, losing, and I know you tried to leave a comment, and I left a comment, and I don't know why. The I, I I don't know. Maybe our users have been trying to leave comments, and they haven't been getting saved, just like yours wasn't saved. Um, but you know what? What I told him was, we're gonna win some games. Now, so everybody just we're gonna win some games. Well, it uh, you know there there were some of the I guess the standard issues that have that have happened. Uh, you know, for a team that was. Outscored coming into the game forty-eight to three in the first quarter. Uh, we elected, we won the kickoff, elected to kick off, and then were immediately punished 
is Miami scored within the first 30 seconds of the mm. half on two plays. Jeez. But we came back nicely. We had a nice drive coming back down, and uh, we tied the score up. And it, Brennan Armstrong was five for six on the drive, and it was it was kind of impressive. the The first half was weird. Uh, we are now playing. The first half looked it looked like Sandlot. We had a three headed hydra of quarterbacks. Uh, Brennan Armstrong, of course, was back after a game and a half. Mm-hmm out with concussion. And so in the last game, we had uh, Keaton Anderson and Ira Armstead playing and running largely, well, it's, it's beyond Wildcat. Uh, these guys all played, got significant carries. There was a ton of motion as, you know, Armstrong would line up and then he'd be split wide. Thompson would move behind the line, behind center. It was, to some of us, it looked just a lot of needless motion. Mm -hmm. But the uh, Miami coach, both at halftime and in his after-game presser, said that this offense was keeping the defense confused. Mm -hmm. And that was an advantage. We, you know, Miami came in, you know, playing no huddle, and we matched them no huddle for no huddle. I don't think I saw a huddle all game. Mm -hmm. And... It wasn't quite like Miami. Miami wasn't playing the blur. They were just playing hurry up the whole time. And we matched them and kept them sort of off balance. And I thought the defense played fine. And after this explosion of, you know, points in the first four and a half minutes, the game sort of broke into a slog. Mm-hmm. And and our our defensive front played really well. Uh, De'Ara King is probably you know, the modern type quarterback. Well, certainly for the college game. I mean, it's lots of, lots of pro read uh, stuff and he is quick. He's a fine runner downfield and he's, he's good with, he's got a good arm, got a lively arm. And he's been very successful at, at Houston putting up some astounding numbers. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, last week he, you know, torched Pitt for four touchdowns. So we kept him under wraps. Our men stayed in front of him. They didn't go rushing past him. They kept him out front. And, yeah, he got to the edge a couple times because he's a 5'9 quarterback who's going to be faster. You know, he's short, 5'10 maybe, I think. And he got to the side, you know, faster than our defensive ends. Right. But by and large, we contained him. You know, everybody on our defensive line maintained their lanes. Uh, we collapsed the pocket a lot. We looked really good. Yeah, it was nice and to I, see I thought, uh, Charles Snowden put up some numbers. Oh, he had a great game. Yeah. Uh, so uh, everybody was everybody was looking good. I mean, we are still missing two safeties. And in the first, our first drive down, it looked like we had a, a moment of equal, you know, where we're going to get some equilibrium in terms of, you know, available losses because Amari something or other, Carter, I think, for Miami – on our first on our first drive was uh, ejected for targeting hmm. and that helped us obviously and then unfortunately later in the game uh Jana was targeted i mean this one was even more textbook and somehow the refs chose not to not to eject him and you know that would have helped but, yeah, I, I think having having called it once and ejected once, that they probably didn't want to do it again. Sometimes the refs, are yeah, just, it's just that you know, they don't want to, you know, they, they want right. to feel like they're they're determining the role of the game. Right. But it was still it's like not wanting to issue that second red foot. card to a team that's been that's already sure. down one. Sure, same sort of thing. So you know, Carl Hess when he previewed the game said something like, you know, the the keys were, you know, the turnover margin special teams and unsettled quarterbacks and maybe our other teammates uh wide receivers lines you know could have been thrown off by different cadences from different quarterbacks but we only had one false start all game and i think only one hold we we had very few penalties we had uh we had two great punt return or two punts that were covered inside the Miami 10, and we even blocked a field goal. Nice. 
So we had some decent plays. And speaking of special teams, shout out to Joe Reed for his first NFL touchdown this past weekend. There we go. Yeah. There we go. It, and yeah, and it was, was, uh, apparently he was it was as a wide receiver and not on a special teams play. So that that's uh, really sweet because you know Joe man is such a great kick returner and I think he made the team as a kick returner. So it's great to see him get some run from scrimmage and you know get to. Score a touchdown as a wide receiver really, really made me happy. Yeah, no, that was great. Um, but getting back to the game, there was, you know, so we didn't have many penalties. But the the next, the first two that we got were kind of disastrous. It was, we were down 10-7 uh, late in the second quarter. We had driven down. We had second and goal on the second, on the seven, rather. And then we had a false start. So we were driven back five yards. And then the worst sack of the night for either team, uh, we lost, We were sacked for like a, almost an 18-yard loss. Back who, up to the Who 30. was the quarterback? Uh, this was Brennan. Armstrong. Okay. And he just had no chance. I mean, this guy was <laughs> this guy was ejected. <laughs> you know, he just, he just came through as fast as humanly mm. possible. And then... So we're facing, we're, you know, third and goal on the 30, and we scored. Beautiful play. Touchdown, we're up 13 to 10, but we'd split a tight end. Wide, wide left, and he just left uh, Mish covered, and then they both ran down routes, Mm. and we had an illegal field, you know, illegal uh Player downfield, illegal uh, receiver downfield. Yeah, yeah, downfield, and it was just sort of a, a brain dead sort of thing. I, I just don't know why you stretch a tight end who's not used to looking back down the line and thinking about that to split him so wide left, and it it, it was really bad. And you know we could have taken the lead, mm-hmm. and then the team shook it off. You know we're now third and thirty. Uh, you know, third and third and goal at the thirty. He hit a very nice twelve-yard, thirteen-yard, you know, pass to get us perfectly in uh, field goal position. And of course, this being UVA season this year, we pushed it wide right. Hmm. And ah, wide you know, right. we had the chance. Words. Yeah, <laughs> we had the chance right then to to go up against Miami, and and we lost it. And early in the second quarter, early in the third quarter, uh, we had a, we had uh, Nick Grant got a beautiful jump on Miami quarterback Derek King. He had a pick six. I, I mean, he was he was like he was launched, but he started running before he had the ball. No. Dropped it, and that's that why they're of, cornerbacks and not wide receivers. Well, this is part of it. <laughs> this is part of it, but. Either one of those two plays changes the complexion of the right. game. It, we go from chasing a team to them having to come to us, and and we we, we could have done that. Our team was going to our team tired, you know, down the stretch. These guys were playing quickly. There's no huddle. Uh, the game was quick to watch. It was actually fun to watch because both these teams were playing very very quick uh, on the ball. And we, we tired. We spent some time. We we, we burned some timeouts needlessly, and mm-hmm. just trying to you know keep. Just our guys were tired. I think. I didn't see it so much as the announcers announced it, but it it seemed like that was the common assessment was that everybody was getting tired. So we got the ball back. You know we had we had time, and we didn't because we didn't have any timeouts. Mm-hmm. So. It was it was a frustrating sort of loss. Derek King ended up throwing for 330 yards, and I have to tell you, I thought they were some of the quietest 330-yard game performances I've seen. You know, they only scored two touchdowns on us. We had two great stands, two great defensive stands that forced them into field goals. I think in some respects there's a lot to take for the game, except, you know, how many moral victories do you want mm-hmm. and and it's you know well, we haven't even had any of those victory. so far this year so i mean that's progress yeah. 
Well, I think it is, but... I mean, you know, I guess I was, the, I I guess the Clemson game, you know, they, they showed pretty well against Clemson. They did. So, they did. And, you it's know... It's just you got you to play well against those NC States and Wake Forest on your schedule. You can't afford yeah. to piss those away. Yeah, so, you know, you mentioned who they have. This is what he wrote to close his column that he posted on his place. So the team is a broken record of mistakes right now. It's unlike the Melvin Hall coach team squads of the past two years. Instead, this is more reminiscent of the Mike London years. Mm-hmm. And that got me thinking, football, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to blame him for this or anybody. I mean, football is the most rhythmic, I think, of sports. I mean, you grow up knowing you've got a game on Saturday. There's always a game on Saturday, and the, there's a rhythm, you know, and, and you you travel and you come back and you know exactly what you're doing on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, you know, what days you're doing film review and what's your hard practice and what's your recovery mm-hmm. day. And I think I think this pandemic has just destroyed everybody's rhythms. And some teams are obviously going to do better than others, but we've talked about this before. There's not a playbook for how do you how do you run your team during the pandemic right you know Bronco Mendenhall's been coaching for 30 years he knows this rhythm he knows what he's doing and what he wants to accomplish and it's it's just all been it's all been shattered and there are work by fat by by definition almost some teams were going to handle this well and some were going to handle it worse and maybe we're handling it worse but this is sort of a gimme year, I think, and I don't. I know that there's a lot of fans who aren't gonna aren't gonna agree with that. But right. I think this this whole this whole year, you know, I'm still very much in the. I'm just happy we're playing games mode. And these guys came out, and I thought they played hard. The field there was a heavy downpour. You know, both teams were fighting the other team and the elements. Right. Uh, we had more drop passes than they did. <laughs> But it it was hard. It was hard for everybody. And this is just how this season's going to go. And I think it's it's been that way for the women's soccer team, certainly. The men's basketball, the basketball teams are going to have the same issues all winter. You know, how do we play? What is our rhythm? What are our days off? I mean, right now they don't even have a schedule. Well, see, that's also part of this. You know, normally there would be a schedule out. And yeah, we're less than a month with... before the season starts, and there is no schedule. There, like, I went to the, I went to the men's basketball page just before this to you know try to see what to talk about, and uh, you go to the schedule, and there are three games listed, mm-hmm. and and one of them, Villanova, doesn't have details. It's just like, yeah, we're gonna play these guys. We are gonna play these guys. And I guess they're going to play in Madison Square Garden. They're still saying that, but that's all we know. And right. so it's it is chaotic, and and it's 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 definitely hard on on everybody who's participating. And I I agree with your. I don't know if you said it flat out, but I think your message was we need to be patient with these guys because they're trying to they're trying to have seasons under really bizarre circumstances. Well, this is the worst season, you know, since World War II, at least. Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, maybe beyond that. I mean, yeah, I mean, think of it. I mean, the NCAA tournament was canceled last year. I don't, did even World War II cancel the tournament? I mean, think of all the things that an, we've. I don't think they had an, they didn't have an NCAA tournament, basketball tournament. In the yeah, they did. They weren't. Did it wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't a big deal like it is now. But yeah, and I mean, you think of the things that we've that we've gone through historically with society, and you know, the tournaments have gone on, the games have gone on, and you know, this this past twelve months, it it hasn't been that way. It's a, you know, it it's weird, and like you think about your life and my life and everybody's lives, our daily lives, and how weird it is, and. You know, some of us, some of us are able to work effectively and and kind of not miss a beat. I, I, it's been that way for me. I've been blessed and, and fortunate in that way. But a lot, you know, a lot of other people, their entire routine and ability to. 
be productive and everything has been just shattered. And mm-hmm. it's really not that much different for our sports teams. And a lot of leagues and teams aren't even playing. I mean, Virginia, we're fortunate. We're fortunate to be playing. Hopefully, everybody's staying healthy. And it's just so. Yeah, I, I agree that it's kind of a throwaway season. Let's just enjoy. Just enjoy our teams. And, and I feel the same way at basketball. I have high expectations, but you know, like Jay Wright. In an interview, said it's right now it's fifty fifty that a college basketball season is going to go forward without major disruptions and cancellations. So sure. you know we don't even know. We and it's it's unfortunate yeah. when we're all stuck in when we're all stuck indoors and you got flu season. I mean, yeah, <laughs> this 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 could be a lot worse before before it gets better. And so you know I. I'm not disappointed after having watched this game. I mean, I, I wanted us to win because you always want to beat Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not I – don't, I don't come away frustrated or angry. I mean, I think right. our guys played hard. You know, travel is so much harder than it used to be. I, I think that home field advantage is even bigger now just because it's so difficult. I mean, I guess these guys travel down on Friday. I think we saw I think scattered. there was a stat that I saw on Twitter that bears out what you just said about home field advantage that generally in the ACC home teams only win a little bit more than 50% of games and this year they're winning over 70. Yeah, it's so hard. I mean, the, the, the example I know best is, you know, when the women's soccer team, you know, went to went to Clemson, they went down, I mean, it's six and a half hours from Charlottesville to Clemson. Mm-hmm. They drove down, they got up at some ungodly hour to drive down to Clemson. Six hours in a bus, and I can tell you from personal experience, you do not want to play a game after you've been on a bus for six hours. Yeah, that's really uncomfortable. You know, those women woke up at four in the morning, mm-hmm. and Clemson players woke up at ten. Yeah, It's a completely different scenario. So, everybody's travel's been changed and I know that coaching staffs are having to worry about, okay, we're in the hotel. These are the rooms. Don't go up the back aisle. You know, nobody leaves, nobody goes this. And, you know, we, we talked last, you know, two weeks ago about how many staff members, you know, a football team has, but nevertheless, that takes mental energy. Mm-hmm. You know, Bronco Mendenhall is spending his time worrying about the logistics of how you get your team down there safely. Right. And it's not, on the football game, and we've got to be at peak to beat Miami, and we're not at peak, and, and there could be all kinds of things that cause that, but we certainly, that travel certainly hurts, so it's it, it's going to be hard, and it, the same thing's going to happen every, you know, with, with basketball, because they're even playing more games, so there's right. going to be more travel, so the ACC is still saying that there's going to be a 20-game season you know, conference season, mm-hmm. which leaves us, I think, just four games out of conference that they're going to have. So, Now, you said you had some uh, women's soccer so, to talk about, right? Well, uh, I don't want to talk about it too long because, uh, you know, the only game that we played since you and I last talked was Florida, uh, Florida State came to Virginia, and we lost to them four to three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we State talked about it a little out. bit last week. St. Louis and we? I okay, recovered yeah. it. It was, just, it, was, it, it was frustrating. And we've got some players back, mm-hmm. and that was good to see. But Florida State is just a stronger, more physical team than us, and I think that must be okay with Steve Swanson because he doesn't have – he wants the more skilled technical ball player mm-hmm. rather than a player who's just stronger and faster. And so – the two players that we have who are most capable of withstanding and, and standing up to a physical play were Taryn Torres. And she came back, but it was the first game she's played all season. She was barely one-third match fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sydney Zandy, who we lost, you know, I think to an ACL about three weeks ago, two weeks ago. Right. So it was always going to be difficult for us. You know, we've started eight different lineups. I'm convinced that there's two or three players who are still suffering from coronavirus quarantining at least. And we, the Florida State coach started his same lineup all eight games. 
he we were supposed to have one tiny sliver of of advantage in that their all world uh defensive midfielder named Jalen Howell was had left school or had left was at the women's national team training center mm. uh on a tryout and she missed their game against Duke but she flew back for the Virginia game mm. played the game and then flew immediately back to Colorado nice so we were supposed to not have to play you know to we miss one of their three or four best players right and she came back but the thing i wanted to mention about this was we fell behind two nothing within mm-hmm. about 10 minutes I right mean, we were blitzed again and the thing about a steve swanson team and, and these women that i've been watching for the last three four years they do not give up i mean florida state was truly cruising it was their offside trap was working they were winning all the 50 50 balls they were getting the, all the 60 40 balls they had two gorgeous goals. Everything looked bad. You know, Sarah Sarah Clark was playing poorly. And we came back. We came back from 2 nothing and 3-1 to one deficits to, to tie the game. And, you know, that's one of the reasons that we watch the game is to see how, how the, the players on your team handle adversity. And we lost and it sucked, but... These women really came back. They never ever gave up. And you know, you and I have talked about this before. But I'm, I'm more likely as a fan to hang my head and get upset and go storming off. But these these girls didn't storm off. Mm-hmm. They didn't quit. It was it was an impressive, it was an impressive loss. Yeah, I mean, all in all, it was a good week because they did beat Louisville. Yeah. So they leapfrogged yeah. Louisville and and you know really right right back in the hunt. So yeah. But talking about, you know, a, a strange season, so the ACC is going to have its its tournament, just like it was always going to have its tournament. And then the NCAA tournament is going to be played in the spring. Mm-hmm. Well, the UNC coach, Anson Dorrance, has already announced that four of his players, four of his seniors, are going to be skipping the spring season, uh, ostensibly because they're going to go pro. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's there is that. Uh, that's going to be affecting the spring landscape with all the teams that are playing. And obviously it'll affect the teams that have pro caliber players. So Virginia, UNC, Florida state are going to, su- and maybe even Duke are going to suffer more than the Pitts and Virginia techs and, and Louisville's who don't have a ton of, you know, ton of pro prospects. Mm-hmm. But that's just, you know, just, it's never happened before. You know, you don't lose, you don't lose your seniors to, you know, an entire season before, you know, the NCAA tournament. Right. So it's just, we're, we're writing a new history at every step of the way. And it's just, it's just strange. <laughs> so, so the, the women have two games left before the tournament. We've got uh, a game this Thursday against Boston college. And then on Sunday we finish against Syracuse. We go on the road for both of those, mm. so we'll be doing the long travel. And all I hope is that you know we don't leave Boston College and come and come. Yeah, all the I way mean, you think they Virginia would have to stay up north? One would think. I mean, but, especially you know, if they're not flying. One would think. I don't know if they can. Those games they normally fly. Okay. Uh, they normally fly to Boston. They normally fly to Miami and Florida State. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what the, the arrangements are for some of the some of the other longer drives. I don't know right. if they fly out to North Bend or or Louisville, but um, I know that they I know that they fly to Boston. But again, who, who knows what you know? Who knows what it's? I don't know what their current plans are for that. But both those teams are patsies, so I'm hoping that you know we can round our shape, you know, round out into form. We've had a whole week off. So hopefully anybody else who's nursing Knox or has been quarantining will be able to come back and we'll have two tune-up games, hopefully, before the start of the tournament. But it'll be a strange one. But, you know, so now North Carolina, which is already the strongest, most physical, and probably the best team in the ACC, you know, there are four players who are walking into it this ACC tournament knowing full well that those are their last games 
wearing a you wearing a UNC jersey. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is not the tournament after that. Mm-hmm. The ACC tournament is the culmination of their career. So, those girl, those women have got an extra motivation. And that can be a little scary because a motivated UNC is is very very strong. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that we'll see how that plays. All right. So moving ahead to, um, to men's basketball, you did uh, you did find that there are two games in addition to that Villanova game that have been uh, listed for uh, the men's basketball team, and the season officially begins for the NCAA on the 25th of November. Mm-hmm. That's the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and mm-hmm. Virginia is one of them. We are playing the St. Peter's Peacocks in the Mohegan Sun. Well, I don't know if they're going to call it a tournament so much as just a glorified round robin, I guess, because they haven't announced all the teams yet. Yeah, and, and it's being on... played in the um, – it's a bubble there's yeah. the Connecticut, the Mohegan Sun bubble, and there was supposed to be the Orlando bubble, but um, because of testing requirements and, and stuff like that, ESPN just today announced that they're canceling that. And so that puts like 20 to 25 teams in in a chaotic situation where now they don't have games and they have to try to find games. Well, we're fortunate that Virginia was in the Connecticut bubble and not the Orlando bubble, so... We are set to play, and ironically, one of the games we're going to play is against Florida. There's St. Peter's first, mm-hmm. and then there's Florida. So that, you know, that should be a really good game. Florida's got uh, a very, very talented team coming back. They were supposed to be top ten last year. They had some struggles, and then most of those guys are back, and so they're looking, they're looking to fulfill those expectations from last year, this year, um, and they do have. Um, couple of guys with Virginia interest on that roster. One is Noah Locke, who's a shooting guard from Baltimore that um, Virginia went after, maybe not as hard as they could have, um, and he went up going to Florida, but that was the infamous Javon Quinerly year, and there was some talk that maybe we didn't go after Locke so much because with his size, I didn't think he was a good match with Quinerly, who is, of course, supposed to be um, the lead dog. And then by the time we realized that that wasn't going to happen, you know, Locke had already gone to Florida. And then the other one is uh, Keontae Johnson, who is a Boo Williams alum. He, which, You know, of course, Boo Williams is the AAU program from the Hampton Roads area, the 757. And um, we didn't really recruit Johnson. He's um, kind of a slasher wing a big burly 6'5 about 200 almost 230 pound wing who's kind of blossomed down there in Florida and he's their best player coming into the season so there's a bit of a Virginia connection with Florida and then um, of course we have some bitter history with the Florida Gators oh my goodness uh, I mean it's <laughs> So they have uh, knocked Tony, Florida's knocked Tony Bennett out of the NCAAs twice. And it was ugly both times. Yeah. Um, now, the first time, that was uh, Mike Scott's senior year. And he didn't, he was gone by then, right? Injured? No, he played in that game. He did play it in that was, game. Uh, yeah, he played. He had 15 points, I think. All right. Uh, Joe Harris had seven. Neil Mitchell had that four. Was... I mean, it was. Was that the year Harris had the broken hand, or was that the following year? Following year. All right. But I, it was. But we lost like something like seventy-three to forty-five. Yeah, we got our and, butts kicked, and, and Florida State put up forty-one points on us in the second half. Yeah. So they all, they almost outscored us for the whole game in the second half. Mm. And but they were a great team that year. Well, they were. They were. Yeah. Which is why it, it doesn't anger me as much as, you know, three years ago um, when, you know, we lost to them and scored a whopping total of 39 points. Yeah. Uh, now, we were... That was just... Who were we missing that year? 
Well, it was the um, it was the the London Parentes is the only scorer on the team. I mean, you see, and Mariel Sharak were our were our, our primary forces. Oh, Zay wasn't uh, able to play. That was the year Zay got sick. That's true. So we were so without our best player. Um, you know, I you know, yeah, London was our big scorer, but I think Isaiah was was our best player. He was the heart and soul of that team. Devin Hall was kind of sure. coming on, but and. Um, Kyle I mean, Guy and, that, and Ty Jerome are freshmen. Yeah, and they they both went scoreless in that game. Yeah, uh, we you know, barely the, beat the thing that I remember most about it was that Jack Salt was probably our best player. Mm-hmm. He had eight points, ten rebounds, a block, a steal. Um, that, that was, was the game that we was were the best that line. I believe it was a tie game, and the two teams were kind of battling. And I forget which player it was for Florida, but the the Florida player just elbowed Mamadi Diakite to the jaw, and the fucking referees didn't see fit to call anything. They just let it go, and um, the whole game kind of turned right after that. Well, you know, referees do affect things, and you know, I, I think one of the reasons why. So, you know, every year, you know, when we have the ACC Big Ten Challenge, you know, I, I want two schools. I want Maryland for having, you know, chickened out of the ACC and run to the Big Ten. Or, you know, I'm always going to want Michigan. Uh, you know, or Michigan State, rather. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, again, it was one of those calls, you know. Um, you know, a lot, the second time we played them, Gil and I think Adrian Payne were fighting for a ball. It was, you know, a one-point game. And, and Payne fouled Gil. Ball goes out of bounds. But then they call it on Gil. Mm-hmm. Payne sinks both free throws, and then all of a sudden we're chasing, you know, with 30 seconds left, and that was just more than we could handle. But I guess I was lucky in that I missed both of these Florida games. So uh, I was traveling for the second one, the the most recent one, and to be honest, I wasn't as dialed into Virginia Hoops back in 2012. Mm-hmm. So. I, it just wasn't on my radar to, to go watch. So, you know, I, I'm happy to have Florida, but it, there isn't this, this visceral response. You know, I want to, I need to go back and, and, and get Florida. So, but I think the players are certainly going to know that all these players that are on the team that we have, we're certainly watching and following Virginia well enough, you know, when, when we met that, you know, three years ago. So uh, should be plenty of motivation for uh, for the guys, and uh, and nice to have a, a great early test. You know, we've been, you know, last year. You know, I was bemoaning to you just our powder puff schedule as we were playing the Vermonts of the country. You know, whatever conference it was, uh, you know, just one mid major after another that was just uninspiring. But you know, this year we get, you know, this year we get you know, Florida, and, and we get Villanova. Yeah, I mean, we have, so, currently, we have three games on our schedule. St. Peter's, Florida, and Villanova. And Villanova, it's just on there. It's it's on the schedule. There's no date. It was supposed to be December 19th originally, but we don't know. They're still saying they're going to play in Madison Square Garden, but we can't be sure of that. One, well, one thing we do know but, is that the – both teams are determined to play that game. Jay Wright, uh, you know, has come out and said that, you know, several times. I mean, yeah, he's talking this game up. You know, <laughs> we're going to play that game, and that's going to be another great game. Villanova is another team that is considered a national title contender this year. They they should win the Big East. They've got um, almost all their team back from last year. A team that didn't quite scale the heights that they had in previous years, but. Uh, was good nonetheless. They've got some players that Virginia recruited. Uh, Justin Moore is one of their better guards. He was Casey Morcel's teammate at AAU ball. Um, and he went to, uh, he's from, I believe, DeMatha, but definitely in that, that WCAC conference. Um, and yeah, for a while there, we were after him. They have Brandon Slater from that same conference, who is another one that Tony Bennett recruited. Uh, he he's a reserve now, but but one of their big reserves, 
And then they have Jeremiah Robinson Earl as their 6'9", super stud big man who flirted with the NBA but then came back. He's another one. He's out of Kansas. Uh, it's kind of a surprise that he escaped the Jayhawks. Um, he also considered UVA 21 after him, but he went to Villanova. So um, Colin Gillespie, Justin Moore, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl are probably Villanova's big three. But then uh, you know they've just got it, – it's a typical Jay Wright team. Um, they can all handle the ball. They can all shoot the three. They will play good defense. You know, people don't talk about their defense as much because their offense is so great, but they're a very strong defensive team. So uh, that's another one that, that you've got. We're playing three games, and two of them are against definite top ten caliber opponents. And of course, Virginia is a definite top ten caliber team, also. So um, it's a small schedule. They. We are assuming that they will play the ACC Big Ten Challenge. I know last week St. Lou, who was expecting the schedule to be released this week, he was hoping we'd have it to talk about this week. Uh, that has not happened. Um, so we can talk about the absence of a schedule, and we can talk about <laughs> – <laughs> but they are saying that the, the challenge is going to go on. I know all the other big conference challenges are expected to go on too. I was reading about Florida and Villanova. Each one of them are preparing for their challenges um, I forget which conferences they're each going up against. Not each other. Uh, maybe both of them are Big 12. Um, so everybody's expecting to play, but a month before the season, we don't have any schedules. And we have a dearth of information out of practice. There haven't been any practice videos. And... Um, I know my, you know, the people that I talk to, I haven't even been getting any, you know, little tidbits of, of information. So, you know, it's all well, quiet. Everybody's on, lying low. And, and you know, quiet from what I'm hearing, front. you know, it's, it, well, it's, it's, it's quiet everywhere. And I mean, everything, again, everybody's running scared. So, you know, for instance, what that, that guy, Deron Holmes, mm-hmm. just committed to Dayton. Dayton, I know. And, you know, he had, you know, all of his crystal balls were saying Marquette or some some other school. You know, I mean, these guys are now starting to play us. Um, you know, those of us who you know care about recruiting beforehand, uh, and nobody knows. And so, you know, in some respects, you know, it doesn't surprise me that there's nothing coming out from from the the team in terms of practice videos. I bet every coach who is inclined towards secretiveness. <laughs> Is actually kind of enjoying this, right. you know, that they don't have to make make as many statements. They're not doing it. They're not they're not coming out meeting the the press as much. There's now on top of everything else, you know, if somebody's missing a game. Well, we don't want to talk about that, and the implication is maybe that it's COVID related, and then we've got different regulations. Right. You know, in the in the foot in the football game, you know, um, you know, we were missing Lavelle Carter, um, and uh, right off the bat, and you know nobody talks about it. You know, it's like, well, he's just not here, right? You know, and so you know, if if a coach tends towards this and has enjoyed the secrecy and wants to keep his team out of the spotlight, you know, it's maybe even an easier time to keep people out of the spotlight. You mentioned uh, uh, Deron Holmes, and I, I saw that news too, and I know you know we recruited Holmes pretty hard early on uh, and he visited i think he visited but um you know he was considering virginia and it was i guess everybody thought he was going to stay in arizona he's from arizona and it turns out he went to dayton uh, so i hope he does well there i i know i guess obi toppin is you know his emergence made dayton attractive and uh, well, we just didn't see how he did because you know, it's funny. We were at the same time we were recruiting Deron Holmes. We were also recruiting Peyton Watson, and I, I really yeah. wanted us to have the Holmes and Watson recruiting class, but alas, <laughs> that that was not to be. So I was definitely right. looking forward to maybe you know two, three, or four years of Holmes and Watson at UVA. Right. So, so I mean, this is just this is just how this year is going to go. Yeah. So and we're still waiting tough. on any recruiting news. That 
I know. Oh, um, I think yeah, we're gonna have this posted now. Trey Kaufman, the six nine big man from Indiana who has Virginia in his finalists, he announced he's going to announce his college choice on October thirty first. It's either I think it's the thirty first. It might be the thirtieth. I'm sorry. I should I should have looked this up, but. Before we get excited, uh, St. Lou Who let me know the other day that the day that Trey Kaufman, the Indiana kid, is announcing his college choice just happens to be Archie Miller's birthday. And who is Archie Miller? Oh, yeah. He's the Indiana University basketball coach. Yes. Now, I, now, young Mr. Kaufman's family would have to really dislike Archie Miller to announce on Miller's <laughs> birthday that Kaufman is not going to attend Indiana University to play basketball. So right. I seriously doubt he's going anywhere but Indiana, which is a shame. We really have a need for a player like him. Um, it's probably, in my opinion, it's the biggest need for that class. So that's kind of heartbreaking. You have to get that news that, to find out that that – and at the same time, Deron Holmes, who's another player, six nine, combo forward type, you know, extremely mobile uh, of the kind that we need. You know, th- those are two right off the board. So um, it's starting. To, I, you know, I don't know what we're gonna do there, um, but you know, we still have Trevor Keels and um, drawing a blank. The other name, St. Lou talked about him last week. Talking about Ethan uh, Reed. No, no, Houston, Houston, the kid from Canada who's yeah. playing down in Florida, Houston, who's like a top, he's a top 10 national recruit, he's a wing, 6'8", uh, who's got Virginia in his final final group. Uh, so we'll see. Yeah, Efton Reed is a seven-footer from the Seward School in the Richmond area. Um, I, I don't know, I, 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 I'm not sure I see that happening, and I, to be Blunt, I don't really think Reed's the kind of big man that we need in that class. Uh, I just, I'm really not not a fan of seven foot, relatively slow footed bigs with questionable motors, you know, who, who who don't really do much outside of about six feet from the basket. It's just not, I don't think it's where the game is going, and I don't think that's what's best for our system. It's kind of the, David McCormick, uh, who's the other one? Mark Williams, kind of big that you know I watched him play, and I don't I just don't I just don't see it for Virginia. Um, I know the year we were after you know, Armando Baco is another one. I, he's supposed to be a great player. I just didn't I didn't like his type of game for mm-hmm. us and our system, you know. But we'll see. Um, you know, Reed's a good kid. If he decides to come to Virginia, I'll be his biggest fan. So, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think if he was going to come to Virginia, he would, he would have done that already. So, but. Well, that's what I said about Fields as well. So yeah, we do have Tane Murray. I'm, I'm, I'm so we, we're not going to strike out and. The 2021 class, Murray is a heck of a prospect. He's a definite four-star player. Um, I got to see a little bit of his film and, um, you know, some some guys you watch. He, he, I, I love his jump shot, and he, he comes off those screens, and he's right into his motion, and he shoots. He's got a high release point. He shoots at the top of his jump. He's really nice form, so... Yeah, I, I can't wait to see him come in, you know, come into the well, pipeline. But can't wait to see him. Can't wait to see him either. So, yeah. and you know, he's been playing professionally. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, he's playing against guys, and it's not so much about the you know what the talent level or the skill level is. Although there's certainly been plenty of talent coming from down under lately, but it's it's that he's playing mature men. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's not, you know, he's not playing other 17, 18 year olds. He's playing against 24, 25, 26 year olds who are, you know, truly hungry in that, you know, they do not, you know, they don't play well, they don't get fed. Mm-hmm. So, 
these guys are. Uh, I'm happy to see that as a uh, as an experience. You know, so uh, great playing AAU ball, playing you know in the DCAC conference, but playing against grown men is is another great way of learning how to play the game and and develop yourself. So uh, I'm excited about him too. But you know, there's still there's still lots of players you know on the board. Everybody is is affected, and you know I don't know that I would be. You know, there's always talk about players reclassifying and reclassifying up, and all summer long there was still hearing players trying to reclassify. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, do you want to rush to college for this first year? <laughs> I mean, this is not this is not the great college experience. You know, you're going to come here and you're going to have entire, you know, rafts of people keeping you in your room, doing bed checks, you know, making sure you don't bust curfew more so than ever before. Mm -hmm. And because it's, it's program, you know, it's program defining. And coaches have always, you know, had curfews and always sought to keep specific players, you know, in their room. But now I'm, I'm betting there are staff assistants who've got keys to houses, you know, we're locking you in your room and you will not go anywhere. And, you know, is this is this the college experience you want? Is this how you want your first year to be? So everybody's there's still plenty of players on board and I'm I'm not worried. I mean I'm I take a I'm not worried approach anyway with Bennett because he's been so successful getting the players he wants and it's gonna be an exciting season. So he's, um, yeah, I mean, the, the 2021 class was never, I won't say was never, but once we had the 2020 class inked, 2021 wasn't going to be a big year. It's another one of those. You, you don't need a right. lot. You'd like to pull in one or two really good players, but the 2020 class is so strong and the 2019 class, you know, wind up being pretty strong that there's a lot of talent in the pipeline. There's a lot of talent that's going to be here. So the next year that you're looking to really score big would be 2022. And I know we're already working on some 2022 players. So um, hopefully we'll, you know, add another player or two. We do, like I said, I, we do need a big because Jay Huff, you know, obviously is going to be gone after this year. Sam Hauser is going to be gone after the year, this year. You're going to be looking at Francisco Cafaro and Caden Shedrick and Trey Murphy. I, I think that's it. Just those three guys for coming into the 2021 year at, at, in your post rotation. And all extremely promising talents, no doubt. But you don't want to go into a season with just three bigs. And, oh, I'm forgetting, uh, leaving out Justin McCoy. Can't leave out Justin McCoy. So, you know, again, it, you've got guys who are at this point unproven. They definitely have a lot to work with. There's a lot of ability there. So, again, we, if we don't bring in a 2021 big, we should be okay. But you're far more in a situation where you need everything to go right and you definitely don't like to have those situations where everything needs to go right because that doesn't happen too often in life. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's not situation normal, all going wonderfully smooth. It's situation normal, all fouled up is the famous phrase. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> but just before we close, I did uh, I did do a little bit of research on St. Peter's. Okay. Uh, who is our opening game. And they go by, you, you spell out Saint. It's St. Peter's, not S.T. Peter's. So it, it took me a while to find them. <laughs> okay. And I was probably like, are they Division Three or something? <laughs> but um, they were a solid team last year. They finished second in the Metro Atlantic. 
Uh, they were fourteen and six in their in the conference season. Now that's the M A A C, the Mac, see, not the Mac. Right. It's the that's Mac. But they finished fourteen and six for the season. Split with the team that won the regular season, uh, Siena. Split with them. They mm-hmm. were. They managed to uh, beat uh, Iona three times in that mm-hmm. season, which I think is always an accomplishment. I don't care who you are, what level. Beating one team three times is hard. So I mean, they they beat they swept them during the the regular season, and then you know played them in their one tournament game before you know, the world ended. But all three, the sum total of those three games cited by five points. Wow. So they did, they have a little bit of experience fighting tooth and nail. But the thing that interested me most about this team was that the team has um, eight players who scored more than five points a game. Nobody scored in double figures. Huh. But he had eight players score five points a game by contrast uh you know we had uh uva had just six players mm-hmm. score score more than five he also had 13 players average more than eight minutes huh. a game and we only had you know seven play, six players mm-hmm. seven players play more than than nine minutes a game so it was a deep team it was not particularly small i mean they've got like Three six three guys who are six foot seven, two guys who are six five, and then you know the typical seven footer from Africa who I presume was a was a project player, and um, they're coached by a guy I had long forgot about, a guy named Shaheen Holloway, okay, who uh, played at uh, Seton Hall, right, for uh, had a, you know good good Seton Hall career, yeah yeah um, very good player. You know, and you know, but he's five ten, mm-hmm. so he wasn't going to play in the pros. He's been coaching this league. He's he's been an assistant coach in this league at two other schools, and he's here now. This is his second season. He was MAAC Coach of the Year last year. So this is the typical sort of up and coming sort of program that you know some come out with stars in their eyes and you know, get blown away by Virginia or, you know, some will come out here and just, this is their chance to shine. This is, I only went back seven seasons, but we, this is easily the biggest game that they've played in seven years. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nobody else even on the landscape, not even a big school or something like that on the landscape for who they've played. So given that there's not somebody like that kid lamb from uh, Vermont, uh-huh. Uh, I'm gonna bet they're gonna come out with a little bit of stars in their eyes. I mean, yeah, they don't, they don't have good. a they don't have a go to player, but it should be it should be an interesting test of of our depth. I mean, this team can put a lot of people in who do shoot the ball. You know, I mean, you've got guys who are scoring six, seven points a game in twelve, fourteen minutes of mm-hmm. playing time. These guys are all comfortable shooting and all comfortable trying to score. So, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, not anything knowing anything else about them, they ought to be able to be a good test of our depth. So mm-hmm. I was just kind of impressed about them for a, you know, for an opening game. And, you know, typically what happens with these out-of-conference games, you know, there will always be one team that kind of, you know, strikes a nerve, like, I like how these guys play. And then, you know, I follow them the rest of the year. You know, a couple of years back, it was it was George Washington. I really loved that GW team, and their bench was so much fun. And, you know, last year I followed Vermont, you know, the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this may be the this may be the sleeper team that I'm going to be, that I'm just going to be, you know, just constantly okay. checking the box scores, seeing how they're doing. Uh, it seems like a, I'm hoping that there's a, an interesting story for these guys. Right. You know, but. After we dust them by thirty points, yeah, really. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I, I'll, I'll like them after the fact. I'm but. not too worried about St. Peter's. Uh, no, no. Just some programming notes for whose place. Um, I have the my season video is ready to go. It's called Voices, and on the same day that this episode, it gets 
published. I'm going to drop the video, and there's going to be a trailer on Twitter. Um, I put a lot of work into it, and I'm really happy with it. I know a lot of people won't be happy with it, but I don't really care because to me it's important, yeah. and um, and I, I definitely want to support the efforts of of uh, some of our players and honor honor uh, what's important to them. So, and it's important to me. So the video is going to drop and this episode is going to drop and then we will start publishing our basketball season preview, the, uh, the uh, written version. Uh, we're planning to start that on the 1st, November 1st. We have, um, I've got in almost all of the ballots for our the all ACC awards that we do every year and, and the ACC preseason power rankings. So we'll be able to talk about those in next week's show because that will have dropped. And, you know, we'll have St. Lou who is doing his off-season refresh where he, he does his capsules on all of the other ACC teams. If you haven't seen those in previous years, you're definitely going to want to tune in. Uh, to to get that information out of our preview because uh, he breaks it all down, man. You have that, you'll, you're going to know everything you need to know about all the teams that we play in the ACC. Um, and then we'll have the player analyses for all of UVA's players. And then, so we'll, we'll spin that out over a couple of weeks and then probably the, the Who's Play Studio Who Cast episode just before the season starts. We'll have a little special feature with Val and Who Amp are going to draft the players. And everybody having heard the player analysis will be able to follow along and second guess these wannabe coaches and tell everybody how. Um, yeah, it, for, for those who, who follow you know baseball and, and Carl Hess's writings for our site, he does this draft of the of the baseball team, which I think is just a fabulous way of of introducing each player individually and what they can have. So I'm looking forward to doing that. And you know, you have added a new writer to our stable, right, Seattle? Yes, Eugene Malero. Eugene, who's going to be covering for us the ACC beat, mm-hmm. which was a piece that you know Seattle and I always felt was kind of missing. You know, we're, we're, we're talking basketball all the time, but, you know, let's face it, we are in the best basketball conference in the country, and I'd be happy to argue with anybody who's a fan of Big Ten basketball. But or Big 12. Country. Big 12 has been getting a lot of it. Oh, best conference sure. in the country talking. Yeah, but, right. uh, <laughs> yeah not, not if one school wins it 14 years in a row. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's just not. I mean, and, and that's the record that I want more than anything else. I think Bill Self's, you know, contribution accomplishments at Kansas are are stunning, but it's not the best conference. Well, the team wins the regular season. We know we know one way he's been getting those accomplishments. So speaking well, of sure. speaking of that, uh, apparently um, Arizona's getting their notice of allegations from from the NCAA. Yay. So we'll Yay. see. <laughs> we'll see We're if anything comes to of that. that. So, but anyway, so we have somebody now who's going to be writing and and actually covering the ACCB. So we're we're excited about that. So you know, and and this pro this preview that that everybody does, it's pretty amazing. So for those of you who are just new to the studio, new to watching this, I mean, I, I think we must have put out what forty thousand words on the team last year. Yeah, I mean, it, we do have the best preview for a school, a school team, a school sport that I've. I think I've ever seen. I mean, and I troll some of these sites mm-hmm. that are, you know, doing football and, you know, we're better. We just are. And uh, it, it's a treat to be able to be, be part of that. And uh, one other thing that we kind of mentioned in passing at the beginning. So whose place is, is adding, uh, is added now uh, comment functionality. <laughs> um, it's, still a work in progress and we're still working on it but you know we want to know what you have to say and what your opinions are and and we'd be happy we want to engage you guys as well 
So yeah, it, and there's a know, so. there's actually a message board too, which hasn't gotten going. That is something we need to work on getting that going, um, get some more interaction. So yeah, it's the infrastructure is now there. It's just a matter of utilizing it. So, sure. but hopefully but we'll give you guys plenty to talk about. We we are there, and yeah, and and, and but mostly it's you know the team's going to be giving us stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. So we're excited about that. We're excited about this new phase. Uh, for all of us at Who's Place, I mean, this is, in some respects, uh, kind of a golden, a golden time. I mean, we have got peak Tony Bennett, which is an astounding thing to be able to watch. And Coach Swanson with the women's soccer team is is really, he's just on the doorstep. I mean, he probably bears the un, the most hated title around as you know, best coach, best program, never to win a national championship. Mm-hmm. And that's not that's not a title anybody ever wants, but nevertheless, it is a testament to his success. And, you know, the football program is, well, we're still turning the corner. <laughs> and well, there's obviously still more work, but I, I think this is sort of a golden era for, you know, for Virginia sports. And we're just happy that you guys want to be along for the ride with us. Yeah. So in saying right. that, you know, we'll, we'll we'll close tonight and say farewell. Wahoo-wah. Wahoo-wah. And uh, we'll catch you next week. All right.